everyone. Long time no see once again. I feel like we get into this little habit where, you know, we're like, oh yeah, we're back. Besties are back. Sophanna and Stephanie are back. And alas, our health fails us and sets us in check <laughs> and we have to begin anew. But we are back this time, hopefully for longer than one episode and then without like any delays or anything. So I am Stephanie Conti and I am here. I am here with, oh my God, the love of my life, <laughs> Savannah Lanause. These just keep getting more intense <laughs> each time. You keep crossing the barrier. I keep pushing it where it's like, okay, how many times can I do this type of intro before Paulo becomes concerned or before <laughs> someone says something, you know? I, I don't think we're there still. I don't think. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. But how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I, I've been ill. <laughs> I've become down with the sickness indeed. Um, yeah, it was my fault this time for the reason why we were gone a month. And it was because like essentially for two weeks, I had a horrible ear infection. When I say horrible, I woke up one morning and I was like, I feel like I have a pimple in my ear. And I was like, mom, can you look at this? And she was like, girl, your entire left ear is swollen shut. I can't see through it. So that lasted for two weeks. I had to get penicillin and steroid shots in yeah. my little cheeks and it hurted. And I was dealing with that for about a week. And then I kept getting tested. And then while they were doing some routine test on me, they were like, mm, something's funky with the liver. The liver. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, like this is normal liver for like a college student who drinks. And I'm like, I'm sober. And they're like, ah, this is not good then. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to do some tests and everything like that. And so far, I still have some more tests and stuff like that. We're just trying to figure out what the source of the liver issues are. I feel fine. I get spleen pain. I've always gotten spleen pain, though, because I'm anemic. Um, but, you know, it was just more so the ear infection was the big root of the problem. And then just kind of figuring out what's causing these liver issues before. Because right now, they're okay. But if it doubles down or anything like that, if it shoots up again in the ALTs, they're called, um, then that's not desirable for me. So I actually went on medical leave from my school for a bit, too. And my medical leave ends this week. So I missed, like three exams um, and everything. I miss like the end of the semester and stuff. But luckily, I'm in good spirits. I'm feeling good. And fortunately, I have doctors who know what they're doing. At least I think. At least I'm pretty sure. Yay. From my knowledge of pharmacy school, it seems like they know what they're doing. Um, who have been taking very good care of me and just kind of helping me figure out what this is and being proactive about things. So yeah, so that's why we've been away. And also we couldn't record an episode for like two weeks because I couldn't hear out of my left ear <laughs> and I did not want to we wear headphones. To preserve that ear, yes. Exactly, exactly. But luckily no hearing damage or anything like that uh, occurred. And yeah, hopefully I will be on a better path, I guess you could say, you know? But Yay. I missed you. We're glad we're I missed doing this with you. I missed who you who are listening right now. I've missed you too. I've been thinking about you. You are loved. You are cared for. You are desired. So yeah, like it, it's been a lot, but I'm happy to be back. You know, and we're happy to have you back, bestie. Yeah, like I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm happy things because there was a lot of like there, it, it as you know, light as it may sound, like there was a point where I was like 
going through it because it went from like ear infection and then two weeks it was like you should be checked for leukemia (laughs) you know intense few weeks yeah yeah it was intense it was intense and luckily you know no crazy things have come back no leukemia no anything crazy or anything you know i'm just i'm just a a thalassemic girl and a thalassemic celiac girl in a lack of red blood cell filled with gluten world (laughs) you know so i'm just trying to float through and try to survive you know luckily i'm very thankful that you understand to a certain degree of the type of uh medical even though we've we we have some similar conditions funnily enough but um you know like the stuff that you've gone through and everything like that like a few months back and stuff now it's my turn to pay for purple noon you know we just keep switching off at one point, we'll, we'll get it. Hopefully, this time we'll be a little bit more stable in our health. But you know, we're yeah. warning the people for sure, for sure. And you know what? At the end of the day, I think it's awesome that we're still able to come back and we're still able to do this and everything like that. And this particular episode has been a long time in the making. And what we mean by that is this has been on our list for a while. And we for a while were saying, oh yeah, we're going to do this next week. We're going to do this next week. We're going to do this next week. I think we said that for like seven episodes straight. And then we ended up pushing it back due to various different reasons and whatnot. (laughs) But now we are here and we are going to talk about one of the most famous movies of all time. But before we talk about that. Savannah, I have to ask, what have you been watching lately? Oh my god, I've been watching the show called Tokyo Vice, and it is so good. I hear it's very good. I think it's very funny that they're not promoting it a lot because of the whole Ansel Elgort drama and and everything. I'm so sad because they haven't announced the second season yet, and I'm Uh, like, for God's sake, if you have to recast him, just recast him, keep the show going, because the show is so good, and it's filmed in Japan, and most of the cast are Japanese actors mm-hmm. and actresses who are so good. And I hope HBO gives it another shot because we all love it. I'm very – this is like my last dual rant. I'm very intense about this. I'm very serious. Please go watch this movie. Please let's all send HBO emails to renew this season. Make another season, please. It was so good. Stephanie, you have to watch it. Okay. Okay. I, I will. I, I've heard nothing but good things. Like you first mentioned it. I then started seeing the poster for it. And then I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I saw like, you know, some people I watch recommending it to other people and everything like that. I was like, dang, okay. I really do be missing something now. Right. Um, but it looks really interesting and stuff. And, um, I want to ask you, cause you did see, um, West Side Story and everything like that. I don't have like a full scope of Ansel Elgort as an actor. Do you think he's a good actor or is he just like a got lucky nepotism kid? No, I think he's very talented. And I think he's a, like for this role, he learned Japanese. Oh, so wow. I think he's very dedicated in his craft. I think he is a good actor. Unfortunately though, you know, there's some allegations there. I, I actually don't know too much about what was done or said. Um, but I do know, for those of you who are concerned, um, this show was filmed prior to the allegations. Gotcha. And yeah, I'm looking up at the fact, and it says he actually learned Jap- to speak Japanese fluently. Yeah. And trained with professional journalists to prepare himself for the role. Um, essentially... 
the just a brief summary of what happened was a few years back because he's closer to 30 now i believe right yeah, he's, he's like in his late 20s um and yes. let me double check that his i think yeah, he he's might about be 30 he's 28 he's okay. 28 when he was in his early 20s about you know 10 years ago and everything like that um there was some type of incident where he had a girlfriend who was like underage and everything like that. And she ended up coming out with a Instagram post pretty much saying that he was a abuser and like during their relationship and stuff, he had like kind of forced sex on her many oh, times wow. and everything like that. Like it was, it was a pretty gnarly cat. Like it was, a, it was like the piece that was ris- written it was it was intense. Like it was an intense piece that was written on wow. him, and it sucks. It sucks when sh- stuff like this happens, you know. Because you know, real quickly it p- appeared and then it disappeared. Like that's what that. I was gonna say. I I don't know too much about it because it. I I don't feel like it was talked about too long. I don't know if this was settled in some way between him. I I don't really understand in terms of why. It could have been because he did have a lot of projects coming out. Everybody kind of just stifled it. Cause I know that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. I, but I genuinely did not hear anything specific. I just knew he had allegations. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's just like right now I looked it up. So essentially um, in 2014, he was accused of sexually assaulting a 17 year old girl who they were dating and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And it it sucks too because even like I know um like even the people of West Side Story and everything like that, like the girl who played Maria felt very betrayed because she did not know about anything until afterwards, you know? And right. it was one of those things where part of her like she enjoyed working on the movie, she enjoyed working with everyone and stuff like that, but it overall just left like a really bad taste in her mouth. And it also kind of put her in this predicament where people were asking her, like, what do you think of it? When she had no idea what was going on and she was upset that it was kept hidden from her, you know, like, you know, it's just like, she also thought that it was crazy how she was expected to kind of answer and comment on this controversy that had really nothing to do with her at all. Yeah. I think, I think it's, that's what I think is sad. I think the people who work hard on these projects, now have to suffer for somebody's wrongdoing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so essentially reading more of it. So sexual assault. um, So she wrote, I didn't think he'd ever see my DM. I was just a kid and was a fan of him. Um, She ended up deleting the statement and ended up, I don't want to say retracting everything, but just kind of deleting everything off. But essentially she described as like, she was like sobbing while having sex with him and everything. Oh man. So it, and it's, it's difficult because there was no, never a follow up from this. Right. There was never like a, Oh, this is what happened. There was court. There was this, like there, it was just kind of dropped. And now, you know, the two people involved in this no longer talk about it. So it's really hard to kind of figure out how, it resolved. Was there a good resolution? Was it, you know, was there apologies? Was there all this type of stuff, you know? Yeah. Cause it, it's difficult to figure. It's difficult to understand that, especially when these two people said something publicly, never resolved it publicly though. Right. Right. You know, That's... and 
it, it, it's it's just difficult, you know, kind of figuring that out and everything. That's that's really rough. Yeah. And then also, too, like, it doesn't help, too, that the fact that when West Side Story had been made for a while, like, it's been, yeah. it had been trying to be made for a while, right? In reality, Ansel Elgore is, like, in his late 20s when Rachel Zegler was cast when she was 17. Yeah. So that was because the starting casting of it and everything, like, all the filming and everything started happening in 2019, really, before the pandemic and everything. That's true. I, I didn't think of that. I know I knew Rachel was really young. Yeah. I knew she was a teenager. But it's definitely a difficult thing, too. And then also, like, is there, you know, should there be, you know, should there be some shame on the production for knowing what Angel Elgort did and still casting despite knowing his history and everything like that, casting a minor to star with him. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's, it's very difficult. And it's also like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, we've only given a short blip of the story and not the rest, like the rest hasn't been made publicly, you know? And it's kind of hard to figure out like, okay, do we just move on? Or yeah, is exactly. his it's victim like- still suffering in silence or did they have a, possibly an amicable resolution is that possibly a thing for them and stuff like that you know like one can only hope you know Jen yeah yeah I mean I will say I don't think he is currently doing any projects like a lot of the stuff that has come out was either done before the allegations or I I think West Side Story was a mist and then I know Tokyo yeah, I think so. Vice was 2019. Right yeah. before. I think it was like at the tail end, like right before it all hit the fan. Yeah, so I it's don't a know very... if he's working right now. I don't think it's... he's working right now. If I had to, if I had to guess, I don't think so. And <laughs> you know, like once again, we can only hope that things end ended amicably and like not just like a relationship, but like just the 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 issue issue was settled at some point. And we of course hope that it was settled for the best for everyone, you know. But at the end of the day, we don't get that information. So it's really hard, you know, and it sucks because part of me is like, oh, yeah, I do think he's a good actor and stuff like that. But I also feel bad. It's kind of like with the Gerard Depardieu situation, right, where I'm like reading his book and everything like that. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like I didn't realize, you know, until you had gotten me the book and everything that we had discovered of his wrongdoings and stuff. And it's really difficult to navigate around that you know especially when uh, you don't get the full information of everything and like and i know it should be one of those things where obviously the minute we hear sexual assault we should drop everything and just distance ourselves but it's kind of hard when you know those people are involved in media and everything like that that we are so fond of and interested in you know well it's also the whole this this goes back to the whole debate of like separating the art from the artist can we really do that? And on a moral level, should, like you were saying, production, should casting do that as well? Because I think it's one thing for us to do it. And also, I, it's a spectrum, by yeah. the way. Like, I, you know, there's, there's, different, there's different reasons for doing that. And then there's reasons where you just can't do it. Like Woody Allen, for example, you just, you can't do it at that point. Yeah. But then I, I do think casting 
and production, all these, they do have more of a responsibility than the average moviegoer. For sure. And then it's also too, like, you know, if I look at, um, if I look at Gerard Depardieu's situation, if I go, oh, that's it, I'm never going to watch a Gerard Depardieu film again, I could be, it's not just, you know, he's not the one who's the only one a part of these movies. There's a whole cast and crew, and there's directors and writers and other actors and actresses who have poured their heart out into stuff. And it's difficult because it's like, how do I enjoy those things while also having to like, you know, kind of teeter around one person who's in this ensemble cast and everything? How do I yeah. appreciate the others properly? You know, so it, it's just difficult navigating through that. And I think it's always something where it's like, I, I even like over time, my my opinions always go back and forth. It's such a it's such a tricky debate. And we've talked about it many times before, too. But it's, it's still one of those things where it's so tricky. To figure out, you know? No, and like I said, it's a spectrum. Like, there are people that you obviously cannot do it for. And then there are situations where you're kind of like, okay, um, can we still, like you were saying, can we still enjoy these films even though this person who is accused of doing something yeah. is in it? Yeah. And it's always, I think the most difficult thing of all is that, you know, so many people have had their comeback stories and everything like that, you know, but we never fully hear how the victim was in the circumstance, yeah, how they exactly. did. Were they able to move on? Probably not. Were they able to win whatever they needed to win? Were they able to find the justice that they wanted? Probably not in reality. And that's what kind of sucks about it all, you know, because we can only hope like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, this this they'll they'll learn from this mistake, depending, you know, how grand it is, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. You know, we can only hope and, you know, like I think of like Rob Lowe, for example, Rob Lowe got into like a lot of sexual allegations back in the 80s. 30 years later, everyone loves Rob Lowe. Everyone loves Rob Lowe. He's maintained a consistent good person face and everything like that, you know? But it's one of those things where it's like... Does that excuse well, what he... Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, like, if he's thriving, are the people that he got involved with back in the day, are they thriving? Are they doing okay? Like, not just in general of life, but, like, from that incident onward. Are they okay and everything, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, th I think it's sad. I think it's very sad that, like... We never know what happens to these people, or we we rarely know what happens to the people that get hurt in these situations. Yeah, the and actors it, it, always move on, and we'll we'll never know. And then also at the end of the day, too, it's kind of none of our business, you yeah. know. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not really our business, but it's aired publicly and everything. Like look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. You know, we're seeing that play by play by play. We're getting a glimpse into their ugly lives that they shared together all the ugly that they did and everything like that right mm -hmm. so it it's it's a very difficult thing it's a very difficult thing to think about but i i just hope that um what whatever happened it's you know at least <laughs> i don't want to say at least but you know it's not like <laughs> as something as you know apparent like ezra miller terrorizing the entire you know island of hawaii <laughs> or anything like that you know like at least that you can easily say like, yeah, he shouldn't be in anything for a while because his pattern and everything is totally consistent, especially for the past few months and stuff. It's like, okay, no, he needs help. He needs to stay out of this stuff because clearly he doesn't deserve the spotlight right now. Yeah. But then when stuff like this happens where it's like, oh yeah, this person did this 10 years ago. It's like, 
difficult because you don't know how it happened, how it resolved, and you're only finding out 10 years ago. And does even, you know, does everyone remember every single detail? It's so complex and so difficult to navigate through. But I definitely still would like to check it out just to see because I think it is impressive overall. And also I think it's cool that, you know, HBO is really – dipping in their toes and actually like because you said it's all filmed in in japan right yes and most of the actors in the in the show are japanese actors from japan so um if you watch it for anything you watch it for them because they're all amazing gotcha um okay yeah i'll definitely have to check it out because it looked really interesting but bestie are you ready it's time to review one of the most iconic movies of all time it's been a long time coming yes i should not need to give a synopsis for this we're not gonna even do it we're not gonna even we're not we're just gonna skip it if you don't know educate yourself (laughs) do better of course you probably know of it you probably heard of it you probably heard at least you know you probably heard of the statistic where like one in four people in the 80s said it was their favorite movie it's considered to be one of the best screenplays of all time it is number one on imdb's top 250 list it's considered to be the best movie of all time by everyone ever said and all things like that of course we are talking about the godfather can i hear your best marlon brando don corleone impression oh i gotta get something to put in my mouth yeah you gotta put in the paper towels in your gums i feel like everybody has to know at this point your affinity for marlon brando it's serious once again here i am with the controversial people and my love and adoration for them um no (laughs) like you know it's one of those things where you know like i said it's difficult you know like here is a brilliant actor who knew who you know just to give the right performances and everything who was a trailblazer for his time but notorious a-hole but also (laughs) like like notorious a-hole to women but also like a huge defender of a lot of different like public, you know, displays, outcries and things like that. Like it's so he was by far, in my opinion, one of the most complex actors to ever exist. Right. Because, you know, it was he was sleeping with Rita Moreno and sleeping with another girl and treating her like crap and then making her get an abortion. The next thing you know, he's at like the battle Creek or something like that, defending the natives. Yeah. And then walking side by side with Martin Luther King Jr. It's so hard to, you know, I think the only way to describe him is complex. And of course no one ever needs to be inherently good all the time. You should strive. You should definitely strive, but we're all, humans we're all going to make mistakes and everything but i've always just been so fascinated with him i i remember seeing him in a streetcar named desire when i was younger and i was instantly captivated because i was watching old movies and stuff like that and now here was the first time i had seen someone from this time period not doing a transatlantic accent not trying to look their absolute best someone who just seemed as if they just walked on stage and just acted like themselves. Come for that time period and everything, it, it stood out then and it still stands out now. So I developed a huge obsession. Um, I've always considered myself a um, unaccredited uh, Marlon Brando historian because that's just how much I know about him. But yeah, like 
that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of The Godfather and everything like that. His biography was so fascinating. I read. Oh my god, I'll never forget. I would, I literally would have to like take breaks and be like, "This man is fascinating," because the fact that he would just read like you know his one page would be like, "My mother was an alcoholic and she beat me all the time." <laughs> to then the next page, it would be like, "The discovery of Afro-Cuban jazz changed my, oh my life." Oh my god, that was a whole chapter about that. <laughs> I, but fascinating. I you would that- like just. Things you would not expect from a guy who was this, like, iconic symbol of the time. I think the most I, – I remember being blown away at the fact that he would talk about all his experiences with women and just people he was with. And at the end of the day, his, like, best friend was, like, the love of his life. The and nerdiest mother effer of all that time, was too. So crazy. Wally Cox? Wally. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the goofiest mother effer to ever grace the cinema screens? <laughs> like, literally, like, it, it, it's, he could have easily just gotten with Don Knotts. That's how goofy looking this guy was. And the fact that he was like, even to the point where in his biography, he's saying, like, I'll never forgive him for letting him drink to his death and leaving me here all alone. Like, oh my God. The, like the pain. This man was with everybody in Hollywood, and that was like the love of his life, secret love of his life, his his secret soulmate, and it was insane to read because you know he's talking about how he was with like Marilyn Monroe at one point and Rita Moreno. He was and all with her people. for ten years. That's what I'm he saying. had a ten year affair through three of her marriages. Dude, but he was also married to throughout a lot of this and i'm just like it's amazing how this man was able to keep up like several affairs an acting career his jazz 15 kids that's what i'm saying i he was just nonstop for like 50 years yeah like 15 kids shot mutiny on the bounty ripped through 40 pairs of pants on mutiny on the bounty due to weight gain had a lock up the fridge his wife movita would have to lock up the fridge because he was just a devouring person he ate everything in sight and like even learning about the fact that he was like oh yeah i'd love to eat but like i've i've never read like there's so many like i'm gonna say lightly horror stories of marlon brando eating Vivian Lee, uh, during the set of Streetcar Named Desire, said that she was absolutely disgusted and like started <laughs> gagging and throwing up because every time they shot the sequence where Stanley Kowalski is like he remember he like slams the, on the plate while they're eating dinner and he stands up and starts yelling at um, Vivian Lee's character. Yeah. Well, apparently they had to redo that scene twelve times, and every time they brought out a new plate of food for him. And by the end of every scene, he had finished the plate. Oh my God. So this man had 12 meatloafs in the span of God knows how long, probably one day and was still going, but still looked amazing. Yeah. He, he, he was just a unique human being. Yeah, and I'm getting, I'm telling you, I'm getting the same vibe with Gerard Depardieu's stuff. I'm reading through, he's talking about he, how he's besties with Putin and stuff. That did not age well. But he's talking about how he's besties <laughs> with Putin. And then the next page, he's talking about how, you know, he's a, a Buddhist. 
And then the next page, he's talking to about how he actually went to Mount Sing to study Shaolin Kung Fu and meditation and everything like that from the monks. Like, what? Yeah, I really don't know how any of these people keep up with any, any kind of life. I, I, I don't am know. so mentally attracted to people like that. People who are just like, oh, yeah, I did this. Oh, yeah, I did this too, you know? Like, oh, yeah, I went skiing in the Alps, and then I jumped with sharks, and then I wrote a best-selling book. Like that, I'm like, whoa, how do you do that? I know. It's it's so interesting. So that's how Marlon Brando captivated me, and that's ultimately what led me to The Godfather and everything. And then on top of that little fun story so essentially i'm like oh yeah i want to see the grand uh, the godfather and everything like that right and then all of a sudden my dad's like oh yeah your uncle's in that movie and i'm like excuse <laughs> me they're like yeah they shot that movie in staten island your uncle who he was my great uncle so he passed away before i was born and stuff they were like oh yeah he was an extra in it and he was friends with everyone and there was like this big story and everything of how um because i lived on the same street growing up where my uncle used to live he was my neighbor and everything right and then my dad's telling me like oh yeah um he was he got real friendly with them you know he would cook and bring food and marlon loved his food i was like well that checks out that makes sense and so she uh, you know he continues and pretty much says like oh yeah so like uh there was one time where after filming and everything they really loved his cooking and stuff so he had over marlon brando james Caan, al pacino robert duvall and francis wow. ford coppola over for dinner I remember we were in the theater watching this. You're like, which one do you think is my uncle? Yeah, I could. He's like I said, he was just an extra. He was an extra for the wedding scene as well as the church scene because those two are filmed in Staten Island. And so he was an extra in the background and everything there. And so it's just like, you know, my grandmother and everyone. The thing is, is that um, my like my dad at the time probably would have been like if he had been home or something like that he probably would have been called to be an extra because essentially casting people just kind of went <laughs> door to door and was like hey you want to be a part of the movie and everything like that you know just trying to get local italians and whatnot you know but my dad and his uh you know and essentially all his cousins and his brothers and sisters were at school and my grandmother was working when all of a sudden she got a call and it was my uncle's wife um, going like, Louise, you're not going to believe it. She's like, what? what? What's going on? What's going on? And she's like, Marlon Brando was over the house. Marlon Brando was over the house. And she's like, what? And she was working. So she she missed out and stuff like that. Oh A lot of God. like my direct family members like missed out. But yeah, so that's because it happened at like, I think two in the afternoon or something when everyone was still working and at school. That sucks for everybody else. I know. And then my dad always joked around and he was like, you know, I bet if we dig farther enough, there's got to be. Because my dad also hung out with like, he hung out a lot with like old mobsters when he would like do, like he used to like gamble, like poker and cards for funds and stuff like that. So he would joke around and say like, you know, I bet one of these days I'll end up finding a photo of you and one of these mobsters, but I'll never just realize it was just old Marlon Brando. (laughs) And I'm like, please (laughs) look for it if you find it. (laughs) But yeah, so 
Yeah, I thought I was so interested. And of course, then I had fam- familial ties to it. So I had to watch it. And I loved the movie so much that for my Sweet 16, I had my Sweet 16 in Staten Island. We found the house. And I actually took photos of my sweets, me and my si- Sweet 16 gown and everything like that in front of the Godfather house. We love that. Invested. Iconic. Invested. <laughs> like, when I tell you I'm a fan... I'm a fan. I have Marlon Brando's face in my, oh my garage. God, that's, that's you true. literally that's have. True. I got from an ex. Crazy, crazy ex. But thank <laughs> you. I'll always cherish this gift. Not you, you son of a bitch. But <laughs> essentially, um, essentially, I had gotten for my birthday. Um, it was Marlon Brando's face cast, and it was painted to look like him. So it was like a direct replica. They still had the mold of it 30 something years later. And for like one of the anniversaries, they ended up um, pouring and making new molds of it. So it's literally a direct replica of his face cast and the person painted it and everything. So it literally just looks like I have Marlon Brando's cemented face on a table. (laughs) So it's it's pretty cool it's pretty cool it's It's probably like prized possessions but it's so heavy but it's so weird because you flip it over and it's literally just like the inside of his face it's very weird i call it um they they call that type of stuff too like when it's done like that like a death mask so i call it like you ever see uh the the man in the iron mask yes it's like that exactly like that perfectly said um but yeah so those are all of my investments in The Godfather and whatnot. Um, I hope you enjoyed. And now here's what you're waiting for, the <laughs> review. But I guess, Savannah, before we dive deep into this, how did you discover The Godfather? Was it like one of those things where growing up, like where your father was like, if you like movies, you got to check out this movie. Was no, that how it was? Do, do you? Okay, I've told you before that for some reason, AMC, the network, would play The Godfather and like the Godfather trilogy, and they play Goodfellas, those four movies, every year on Thanksgiving. So every year, nothing screams Thanksgiving by a little mob action. I don't know why they pick that specific. It's always I don't know if they still do it, but if they still do it, watch Thanksgiving. The Godfather will be on. So yeah. the Lopez's, we would all just watch The Godfather for Thanksgiving. <laughs> four years old watching The Godfather's was that appropriate? Probably not. But hey, got an early start. I've seen this movie probably over like how old my 24? Yeah, like 30 times at least. Yeah. Doesn't get old though. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a reason. Like at the end of the day, if you're expecting us to go like this movie is meh, you're absolutely wrong and insane. I mean, look, everyone has their own opinions and stuff. But look, we don't talk about this much about our personal investments in this movie to just say it was I, you know, Um, I think, you know, I when thinking about Marlon Brando's career and everything, right. There are always movies that I think of terms of like his best acting and everything that I would put higher up than The Godfather. And, you know, I was kind of humbled when we actually saw it in theaters during the for the 50th anniversary of it. Right. Because I think just seeing it on the big screen. And then also, too, like, how lucky is Zach? The first time he ever gets to see The Godfather oh, was on, experience. like, a gorgeous, like, IMAX Dolby Cinema and everything like that, right? So – he absolutely loved it, you know? And it's one of those things, too, where even, like, after some time, if you go a few years without seeing it, you're like, yeah, it's good, but it's overrated. 
And then when you watch it again, you're like, actually, no, it's kind of where it deserves to be. It still holds up. And I mean, it really is the first film about Italian American like mobsters. Before there were films about mobsters, there was Scarface and a lot, but it really was the first film when it talked about the the dynamics of the family. And even when they filmed it, a lot of people don't know that like the five families of New York they were still a thing. The oh, mob yeah. was still very much alive when this movie came out, so it was very interesting, I guess, to see like that kind of culture on the screen and, and really- how the culture became romanticized yeah that's cinematically true. for like the next 30 years i think probably you know the whole mob theme and everything kind of died with sopranos at least temporarily you know um, yeah that's very interesting i i wonder how they're going to bring because i don't think it's Somebody's going to resurrect it eventually, you know? And I think I know why. It's probably because – so, like, the last Great Dawn, like, in terms of, like, New York crime bosses and everything, because these families still exist, right? But they're not the profile cases or anything like that now. Like, John Gotti, for example. I believe he died in, like, the early 2000s. And even, I think – either after or something like that with his death. I think I can't remember if it was right before or after, whatever it may be. Um, they had a whole reality TV show based on his family. Yeah. Like, I think it, like, it was not keeping up with the Gaudis, but like, like <laughs> uh, I, I got to look it up, John Gotti. I think it was his Re- daughter. I think it was his wife and his kids. Okay. Yeah, gro- okay. I said keeping up with the Kardashians. It was growing up Gaudi. Come okay, on. Was I was like not same, far off. Same, you know, same lane. But yeah, like it had like 41 episodes and it lasted until about 2005 and everything. So, you know, you had these. Yeah. And it's uh, Victoria Gotti raises her three sons. Now, I think, do you think people are more, what am I trying to say? I feel like also a lot of people have brought up the fact that like this is the only Italian American representation we get in film. And to be honest, if you really think about it, that did die with the Sopranos. Yeah. Like I so think at the end of the day, that, like, like just- I've grown up my entire life. Anytime I've been like, oh yeah, I'm Italian, Puerto Rican. No one ever makes a Puerto Rican joke. They always go, you know, and make some indistinguishable Italian noise, you know? Well, I grew up in New Jersey. I did. I well, everybody was Italian, so nobody ever commented. No Italians in Florida, unless they're older and they moved down here because they're snowbirds. I hate that. Do you know? You are literally the only other Italian person. You and my mom. That's it. The only other person would be uh, and your my, dad. My, yeah. Uh, well, obviously my family, but Alyssa. Oh, I forget. Alyssa's Italian. We were like only Italian kids. You know, so like, you know, we would always like, we just like, we understood and like her family is like New York Italian. So like, we were like the only ones who really like understood that growing up and everything in Florida because you know, you like we would go over a friend's house and they'd be like, here's pasta and it would be ragu and we'd be like, what? Repulsive. There's no gravy. What is this? Like, you know, like we were just repulsed, you know, it just a lot of things like, and also keep in mind too, her family owned a pizzeria. So, you know, the terminology, the Italian slang and everything was going in and out, you know? Yeah. I mean, my – it's interesting too. Like the the when I do meet Italians here, they're very like removed from the culture. 
um, they're almost like Southern Italians, which I didn't know existed, which just means Southern people. Yeah. It's very it, weird. It, it's, it's very, it, it's all just very interesting, especially how it plays out in, you know, um, Florida. Because I've always, like, I think because I've been like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm New York Italian. Even if I never said, like, oh, like, I don't, no, like, my great-grandparents were from, like, Italian like Italy and everything, but like overall, like my grandma was raised in, you know, Staten Island and everything like that. Right. And so it was be so funny because even when living in here and stuff, no one would ever ask like, Oh yeah. Are you from like Italy? Is your family from Italy? Or is your family from New York and stuff? All of them would always just dip into New York mobster soprano type rhetoric and everything like that. You know, that is definitely weird because like I said, I, New Jersey, especially where I was from, it was all Italian people. And it was funny because all our grandparents were from Italy. It was the same story every time. Like my, my grandparents were from um, Italy and everybody else's grandparents are from Italy. And then you come to Florida and it's completely different. There are no Italians. Um, Flor- especially where we're at in Florida, like it's just little Puerto Rico at this point. Which is fine for us. We still fit in. You know, we can still make it work. Yeah, yeah. But it's also (laughs) like one of those things, like I said, no one bad an eye that I was Puerto Rican. Oh, yeah. You know? know. Italian? What? Do you make sauce from scratch? You know, it's always that type of thing. And even too, like, bless his heart. Bless my boyfriend's heart. But my God, the amount of, hey, it's because you're Italian. The amount of stuff like that that I hear often like oh yeah you like spaghetti because you're italian stephanie like no i can just straight up like pasta (laughs) you know and just hearing stuff like that too we gotta represent there's only three of us in the state you know seriously (laughs) seriously you know um so yeah it's always i think like you know the whole mob thing and everything kind of ended in like the mid 2000s with kind of the death of the Sopranos and everything like that. And then also, you know, all of a sudden, like, for example, we, there was the show Mob Wives. At least that was keeping things in circulations and stuff. And then pretty much that went down the drain when Big Ange passed away. God <laughs> rest her soul. But, you know, like it was just one of those things where it was in the culture for so it was in movies and TV shows for so long until one day it just was like, no, I guess we're kind of done with this. And they haven't really revisited since. Well, and and I also think, how many times could we see the same story? The Sopranos, I think, were were very different because we were looking into the psyche of a monster. But in terms of like movies like The Godfather and Goodfellas and Bronx Tale and and things of that um, genre and Casino, whatever, there's not a lot they could do. They'd have to really start. And I think that's why uh, the the Saints of New York, I really enjoyed it, but I feel like it didn't do well because it was just the same kind of story. So I think if the mob, the Italian mobster genre would have come, would to, were to come back, sorry, it would have to be something completely different. Yeah. And I also think too, um, I think it would have been, you know, I think also one of the things, too, is that there wasn't diversity when it was talking about plots and everything like that, right? Like, in terms of mobs, there's not just 
the Italian mobs. There's Russian mobs. Right. There's there's so many different types of categories and stuff like that. There's mobs, different type of what we would consider to be mobs all around the world, gangs and things like that too. And for a little bit too, we had some international cinema like with Gomorra and you know I think oh yeah um, Gomorra was great. You know, Gamora, and um, there was another one, uh, popular one with like two brothers where they grow, like one grows up to be like a part of the mob and stuff. I know like Lahaine would have mm-hmm. been like more like French crim- crime and stuff like that too, and kind of in that thing. Really, what what's left? The Batman? Is the Batman the rise? Like the new The Batman movie is is oh, no. penguin the rise <laughs> of the next mobster stuff because that was like the last like i was genuinely surprised while watching that movie because all of a sudden here is colin farrell of oh all God. people as penguin and he did a stellar job by the way but now portraying this mobster and doing it so well he did do a good job he did it fantastic and i'm wondering i'm like is this going to be the rise That's again it. of this <laughs> this genre again i think also it's always you know there's only so many times you can do it from when it's the standpoint of a man who's just, I'm just doing what I have to do for my family. The family, you know, yeah, right. the familia. And it's like, there's so many times you can do that, you know? And that's really like all of these dons and everything. They have the same story. I mean, at the end of the day, we know they don't do that for the family. They do it for the power, for the fame, for the wealth. They do it for all that stuff, right? Family is on a list of priorities, but it's still at the bottom of the list, right? You know, I think another reason the genre would have to kind of rebuild itself is if you notice, and, and Sopranos, I would say, would be a, a little bit better, but the portrayal of women in these movies are little to non-existent. Yeah, most of the women in these movies either either have the personality of like Toast or have some. <sighs> shallow storyline so i think and obviously i understand that like the mobs were majority like they were men so i understand like the main characters are most likely going to be men yeah but i think when you look at a movie like the godfather yeah the women in this movie didn't have a lot going on they had some more serious plot lines and i think that's a positive that the film does do great but in terms of personality there isn't a lot there yeah. Yet the men are so complex. So I think when redoing this kind of genre, the women would have to be more three-dimensional characters. And I mean, come on. Like, are we going to keep, like, Martin Scorsese's 83, guys. Are <laughs> we going to just this. lead him the sole leader in mob culture? Someone's got to take over, please. I, I, I don't even think this man has ever been immersed in in the mob culture, you know, like I think about like he was he was a film student back in the day, you know, like that that's not how do you go from that to being like the mafioso like ringleader of cinema? I think he was the only one of the only Italian directors, so he was like ah my people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but look, and I'm saying this, and it's on my word. I plan on bringing back good mob stuff back into the hearts of the cinemas. You hear my words now. I got a TV show in line. I'm not saying shit about it because it's my idea and no one's taking my good idea, but it's banger. And I've been literally fantastic. Literally, I love it. Like you could say like, oh yeah, it's it's amazing. The first episode's in my head and it doesn't need to be anywhere right now except in my (laughs) head. So 
yeah, so watch out. You'll see it now. You'll you'll see it come out, and it'll be like TV show by Stephanie Conti. And you're going to watch it, and you're going to be blown away. Because guess what, guys? I do have mob ties. Very distant. Very, very distant. But it's in my veins. And that's what matters. Well. My great-grandmother was besties with John Gotti's mom. Literally everybody I know, everybody from, that is Italian-American from New York, knows somebody who knows somebody that's in the mob. Like, it's such a, it was such a, at the time, I think, not a small community, but tight community. You would just run into somebody at some point. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, I think it was, I think it was either his mother or grandmother, because this was my great grandmother. And yeah, like, apparently he would, like, they would just chill and hang out, and he would stop by and bring them bread and fruits and jams and accoutrements for that stuff, you know. Mm, good guy. He's a family man, Savannah. A family man. No. Um, but, okay, I do need to talk about something that, that bothers me about the Godfather. Okay. Never liked the character of the mother. Never liked the mother character. Oh, yeah. She's just like... Uh, uh, and then she just leaves the daughter. screen. Somebody tells you... To, there are, there's a scene where they're all sitting at the, the dinner table and her daughter's new husband tells her daughter to shut up in the nastiest way. And... Her response is, hey, everybody, don't get involved. Please, please tell me in in all reality what mother wouldn't jump across the table and like slam that guy's head into the plate. I, the the daughter, Connie was also coming home with black eyes and she was like, ah, don't get involved. Getting beaten with the belt and everything (laughs) like that, you know? Never liked her. I have to say it. Never liked her. Yeah, no, she just kind of, you know, and honestly, she actually plays a more important role in the book. I was very surprised. I was like, what? She speaks for five minutes. She speaks in the book. So, yeah, she speaks in the book. She actually she has more of a um, heavier weight and everything like that in the book than compared to the movie, without a doubt. You know, don't like her in the movie. Don't like her. Don't approve. I th- it's also, you know, you got to blame that a little bit on the time, too. No one, wa- like, for example, no one's watching The Godfather for Connie. No, I bet that's, it, it's interesting. She has, like, a really severe storyline. Like, she's getting beat Yeah, up. she has, like, everyone else is like, I got to do this for my family. And, you know, all things like that, right? They're coming after the business. I don't want to deal with drugs. Meanwhile, Connie's over here fighting for her life, you know. <laughs> pregnant. Pregnant. Can't run nowhere. She's throwing plates. She's getting whipped by the belt and everything like that by her monster husband, you know. And she's, you know, trying to talk to her brother. But then her brother instantly want to kill the hut. Like, it's a lot more. It's very, very. She had also five brothers. And one of them noticed. Nobody else in her family noticed except for for the the one brother who has anger issues. It was a mess. For For a family that talks about family... Bro, like, Michael sucks as a sibling. <laughs> Wholeheartedly, he's the worst sibling out of all of them. That's Great so true. character, but a crap sibling. 
that no, he's he is the worst sibling. In film he gave history. lip to Robert Duvall when Robert Duvall was like, I, "I'm I'm just your consigliere. I'm always been here for you. I've been here for you. Your father took me in when I was a little Irish boy living in the streets of Brooklyn. And you know, he's just like, I don't. I've never trusted you since you were five. Like, like what? Oh, don't take it personal. It's a fan. How are you gonna? Oh my god. Poor, poor, whatever his, I forgot his name, constantly, poor that guy, poor Robert Duvall. Who Tom just, Hagen was his character's Tom, name. Poor Tommy, because he did a good job. The only, if we're going to be honest, the only civil and smart one besides Michael and the family, right? And they treat him like an outsider. So yeah. what? Sorry, he's, my dog's got a squeak toy and he's playing okay, the trombone in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I felt bad for him. I always felt bad for Fredo because they they tried with Fredo, but Bro, we don't, Fredo you know. sucked. He couldn't even manage the Las Vegas business. <laughs> he fumbled in the movie and he fumbled in the books. Yeah, but you know, at one point, what? Why don't you just take him to the side and just give him a normal job? Wow, Wait, tell what? him to go work at the bakery. Just tell him, him to go work at the deli. They have all this money. Give him give him something to do. Why are you making him do all this dangerous stuff? Send him to an oil field in California. You he know, like, like anything, anything. Anything. Instead, they're like, job. we're going to send you to the Las Vegas branch. And we're going to give you, you know, you can't handle the stuff here. But we're going to give you an equally important job. And you're going to have to struggle through this alone <laughs> with some guy named Mo Green who's doing coke like... Like, it's nobody's business, okay? Like, it was just one of those things where they just, they did not know, like, in reality, no one in this movie is a good business person. No, no. No maybe, one. Maybe the old man at first, but I felt like he lost touch very quickly because- The he, only thing would be was Don when he was like, I don't want to deal with drugs. Yeah, and he, that he was good when he was younger, and then, you know, he- uh, things really went to south obviously when he got shot he couldn't really do anything um but yeah you're right michael is the worst sibling he really ever. is he really is you know and also too like even i love al pacino and everything like that i don't That's think pacino. and people say like oh he deserved an oscar for his performance in this one i don't think so not for the first godfather i not think for the first godfather. the second one was more complicated absolutely yeah but like here he's just so stone-faced and you know he's just like he's he's <laughs> he's trying to process everything but he's an army veteran and he's constantly in flashbacks but we don't really know it but it's really showing through his personality and everything because he's so rigid you know it, it, once again i still love this movie i still love it to pieces and stuff but my like i wish we could have seen more with michael and stuff because you know he was like my k my family's different k and she'd oh, be like, well, how? Kay? We'll get back to her in a second. We'll get back to Kay. But I, I think Michael's very interesting because he spends at least half of the movie saying, oh, I don't want to be a part of my family's business. And you kind of see the, the, the mental... To, the main the mental anguish that he's supposed to have right because at one point they have to hide him away and i think you're right there is a lack of there is a lack of emotional diversity there because i think at first he should have been a little bit more like carefree he was away he's just visiting and then the middle of the movie he's in this in-between spot and i think that's where his performance 
should have shined the most. Yeah, he's going from like a shy army hero to now in the middle of the movie, he's in Italy and he's like, see that woman over there? She's mine. Anyone touches her, you're dead. You're her father. She's yeah, mine. Yeah, now he's full-blown monster? I don't, yeah. I don't know. This woman also never said two words okay, in her life. And again, he's like, you're women my in this wife. Movie? I take after speak. my father. We marry silent <laughs> women here in the Corleone lineage. I don't understand. But if you really look at his performance, it doesn't shine until the end. Until he is made Don and he is the godfather. Which- and I will say too, for this being movies about mafia and everything like that, the worst thing that they got wrong is the fact that in most of these cases, and I mean this with nothing but love and spirit, the women are not quiet. They are loud. They are. They are. I, I personally think, like, if we're talking about like mafia involved couple. That is Godfather. That is Henry and Karen Hill. Oh yeah. That is the dynamic. No way, M- Mama Corleone was just twiddling away, sewing and stuff like that. When you know, all of a sudden, Sonny Corleone, she's thinking like, ah, oh, it's just they have a fruit stand. And then you know, Sonny Corleone's <laughs> getting shot up at a at a bridge. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. And also, how Kay is also very frustrating to me because she signed up for a nice army college boy right then all of a sudden he has to flee to italy doesn't tell her when he's coming back or if he's coming back leaves her high and dry for what i believe is about a year then falls in love with another woman then then just casually comes back and is like i've always been in love with you you lie (laughs) but it's also like how could you listen at, at that point she also knew what his family did right at that point she she figured it out he told her at the wedding so not only did this man leave you high and dry for a year, you're going to go marry somebody that is clearly in the mob now. Yeah. And then get upset when you have an inkling that he's in the mob. Come on. Come but on. Like, and here's my thing too, right? If Michael really was like, I don't want anyone to get hurt. This stays in the family. Michael really, after all of his do- his deeds and everything like that, looked at a kindergarten teacher and said, you're going to be safe with me. These children, safe. I guarantee. Like, what? Like, you don't think like, oh, no, I'm associated with this stuff. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be associated with someone who's around schools and everything like that. God forbid, you know, one of the families decide to hit a charter school. Of course not. Of course not. You know, yeah. I kind of wish he broke her heart. I kind of wish he took the samurai approach where it's like the only thing that matters is my parakeet. Get out of my way. Like that should have been really like with him. If he was really going to go like, I'm ruthless. I am a killer. I think what he should have done is maybe even gone more of a cynical route. Be like, I'll get her pregnant. I'll have a kid just so I have someone to avenge me when I die. And then I'll continue. This family and avenging. I can't. Um. I think he is one of the most complicated characters. He he just gets very stone faced, very stone cold at the end. And it's it, like you said, like you didn't love her. If you loved her, you wouldn't have married her and brought her in. You were well, like, and then you also to be like, alone. You I would, if, I, if if Michael Corleone was a person, I would literally just sit down and I'd be like, "What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? You you avenged your you avenged your father." 
now he's rolling in his grave because you decide that it wasn't enough and now you got to kill every head and, and of the at family. At one point, I think it's revealed that he, even the dad didn't want him involved. The dad was like, no, no go do your college. Also, too, what was, what was the purpose of killing all the family members? What? To send a message for power. What power? You weren't dealing with drugs. You yeah. were no longer doing business with any of them. Yeah. What message? People lost their fathers <laughs> because you wanted to look big. Like, it was one of those things where, like, you know, Don Corleone was rolling in his grave during all of this stuff, you know? Because that's not what he wanted. No, but it's what Michael wanted. Michael just ended up being the most ruthless out of and all even the when Sonny was threatening and going, I'm going to stick this gun in his head and go bada bing, bada boom. And when he's doing all this stuff, even he was out angered, out, you know, <laughs> no, malicious he, by his brother. Ruthless. He turned into the most ruthless, heartless, cold stone face out of all of his family. Because at least Don seemed like he had some kind of heart and some kind of moral code. And although I do think, like, uh, I think Michael had his own view of like his own set of moral codes. He turned out to be the most ruthless out of all of them. I think personally, Robert Duvall could have been a good godfather. Of course. He was older than Michael, didn't have PTSD from, <laughs> what was it, the Korean War? What war was it? I, I think it was World War II. I think it was World War II. Yeah, this was a- dude is still stuck in the battle zone in his mind. And he's like, we got to take out them out. We got to do the Italians. The Ital- <laughs> what was the family that ended up trying to shoot? Who, who was it again? Which family? The one of them that shot uh, Don, the one that they were at war with for a while. What was his name? You don't Salazzo? talk about Who? Salazzo? There was somebody else. Uh, Something with a T, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Tessio? I think it was Tessio. Brazzini. Was it Brazzini? Barzini, right? Yeah, Barzini. Yeah. But it was like one of those things where it was like, look, he had killed, you know, um, in the diner scene, he had killed, you know, first of all, the dude, the the cop who hit him on the jaw, he straight up assassined. Uh, he yeah. straight up assassined the dude that hit him in the jaw, right? He got his, he, he got revenge at every corner and it still wasn't enough. And I don't think in the movie, it's clear cut as to why that is. I think we should have focused, at least if I were to go back and just whisper some things into Mario Puzo and everything like that's ear and stuff, just to make it, and keep in mind, this only probably affects like 5% of the movie overall because everything and stuff is just still so executed extremely well. Oh but God. I would have been like... you're going to do apocalypse now. You know how to shoot war stuff. Give this man war visions because that's it. That would be enough. If we showed a little bit more PTSD and visions of the war and everything like that in Michael's mind, it'd be like, no, say less. Like we understand why he's going cuckoo. He's still stuck in, you know, Normandy. I also think that like the character just has a lot of bitterness because there was, he had to do it. Sonny died, and he wouldn't have made a good godfather anyway. His dad was on the verge of death, and he was shot trying to be an assassin. And then Fredo was not going to do anything. He was going nowhere. And then they wouldn't have let Robert Duvall's character. So I think there was a lot of bitterness because he was in a way forced into this role. Mm -hmm. There was no other kind of – there was no other choice unless he could just straight up abandon his family – I mean, which he, I thought he did at first, you know, when he left for the war, but I guess not. 
unless he just straight up went, no, not my problem, there was nothing he could do. So I do feel like Michael is just straight up bitter on top of like having PTSD and then just being a ruthless person. Yeah, it, it, it's just I think for Michael, I think everyone else, every other character and stuff like that, even like Connie, Sonny, you know, Tom Hagen, uh, Salazzo, like even like the enemies and stuff like that of this movie and everything like that are solid. They are 100% solid characters. It's it's just so weird how one of the most flawed character ends up easily being something that could be very easily ignored when watching the movie. For sure. But I, I do think at the end of the day, his flaws do make him Michael. Even with the, the lack of emotional availability and just, I, I guess, some other things combined. It, it it somehow forms this complex character who's one of the best characters in film history. And I think that is only within this movie. Yeah. You will only find that in this movie, for sure. It's just definitely, like, it, it's so weird looking back at that. And then I will say, too, like, for the first movie, and we'll, we'll only talk about the first movie today because it could take forever to get through all two, the remainder two movies and everything like that, you know? Um, but I, I, I think also one of the things too, that I never understood was the role of K in the first one. Like in the first movie, I never really understood her purpose. Well, I don't think she had like, I think the, the only thing I liked what they did with her character, I think the movie did show us that the only purpose when we see her through Michael's eyes, she's kind of a pawn in this whole game. She, yeah, he kind of had to marry somebody, I assume, or like he just didn't want to be alone. And he was like, oh, that's easy. I'll just pick her and I'll just use her. So she's kind of this pawn for Michael. And we kind of see in the beginning, they seemed much happier. He leaves. He's comes back. He's bitter. He's just like, yeah, I promise you this, this and that. She is this kind of seems to be a very naive girl. She doesn't know the world of the mafia, as we know from the beginning. So it was interesting to see her being used as that tool. Yeah. But again, they didn't give Kay a lot of personality. They didn't give Kay a lot of depth throughout any of her parts in any of the movies. I genuinely think Kay could have been one of those people who, after he had found love and everything like that in Sicily, right? Then he could have come back, met Kay for the first time. And then, you know, kind of, we could have formed a little bit of a personality about Kay, about that, you know, rather the whole like, yeah, I left you. You'll never know that I married a beautiful Sicilian broad for a year (laughs) and I forgot everything about you. (laughs) But I think that's what I heartless. But I think that's why they did it to show that he's just a heartless. He's now heartless. Yeah. It's it's one thing to leave a person, right? One thing to leave a person and never come back. And to be honest, that would have probably ended up being a better life for her. But it's another thing to leave a person, have a whole different life, and then be a second choice. And I think that's what this movie was trying to say, that like he really just did not care about her well-being, but she was his second choice. And now that he's back in Long Island and she's there, it's convenient and they're going to get married. And I think that's... Yeah really sad for her 
but it just adds more depth into like how he's just kind of despicable now in a way. So I actually, and I think that this is actually um, something that plays in really interesting. Like I just kind of looked it up because I wanted to see if there was anything, you know, else that could be given and whatnot. But essentially there is an article written and it says why the Godfather's Michael Corleone is a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. And how in reality he kind of presents like a uh, an FBI. So it says the Godfather's Michael Corleone is a textbook example of a psych- psychopath. 20-year-old, a 20-year FBI veteran Candace DeLong explains why and actually is able to like list why exactly she thinks you know he is a psychopath and everything and why you know and i think that's one of those things too where if that was the approach that mario puzo had wanted i think they could have dived into that a little bit better you know because he kind of has like these um moments where he's just kind of like staring out into space i feel like those could have been prolonged if they wanted to go for that approach if puzo wanted to go for that approach of it being like him being a sociopath and everything or a psychopath. No, and I think especially again, I think that's something we'll leave for the second movie because I think you start to see as the series go goes on, because I think in the first movie, the audience excuses a lot of his actions for the sake of like him doing it for his family, and then oh no, his wife dies, and then he's avenging his brother and his dad. A lot of what he does in the first movie is excusable for a lot of people because there there is some reason for it. Yeah. And then as the series goes on, he just does a lot of more unjustifiable acts of violence and you start to realize that like, oh no, he's he's just like this. He's just a ruthless person. And I think it's it is very interesting how they develop the character into unveiling a much darker person than we first meet. Yeah. And it says here that in like kind of what this person says and everything and stuff like that, once again, it may have not just been, you know, and and this is also considering like, is this person, you know, it says that the person is looking at the movie, you know, there's obviously I haven't read the book in like 10 years, but there's probably like a lot more in depth as to why he was this way and everything. But from a movie perspective, it's because the only uh, feeling of satisfaction that he ever gets from his motives in the movie is when he achieves his own goals. And even with his father's death and his brother's death, he never has a moment of emotion or any type of reaction to anything. That's true. And even at the point where, like, at the end, like, like I said, where, where he meets Kay and everything like that, again, the second time and stuff, you know, it's not from a, like, oh, I miss you, how have you been type of thing. It's a, I know how I can use you now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think once we, if we ever review the third movie, there was a very interesting character shift. At one point, they start messing with his character. Did you notice that? They're trying to humanize him a little bit? Yeah. And I think also, like, when I think about, like, if you kind of compare some of, like, Pacino's best moments from Godfather 1 to Godfather 2 to Godfather 3, there is a huge emotional difference between them. And it's not, like, something where it's like, oh, it's because his character aged and kind of did it. It seems like total personality shifts all throughout and everything. Like, you know, I've 
uh, scene to scene with um, when he's talking to his brother Fredo in the second movie, and then also how he reacts to you know the the Sofia Coppola event in the third movie and whatnot. Without any spoilers, I'm trying to say, um, and it's just like it just seems like Al Pacino playing three different characters in all these movies. Yeah, they 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 kind of shift a lot. I think throughout the the second one, I will say he's definitely the most evil that he gets. But I, I think it's like a progression and then like a, a degression at some point. It's very interesting. I don't know. I understand the second one a little bit more, but I don't know why so many character shifts. It, it could be attributed to the fact that he is in this world where I, there's a lot thrown at him. I'll, I'll give him that. And I guess he one could argue that you have to be kind of cold and ruthless to do what he does. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I don't know. Still, yeah, he still sucks. I think point <laughs> blank. I, I think that's it. I think he just, as a person, as a character, he's marvelous. But as like a person, oh my god. Yeah. And I I always think it's so funny how when people think about like the Godfather and everything like that, right? When people think about mafia in general, they think of, oh, someone as ruthless as as Don Corleone. Meanwhile, he's not the one who's ruthless. You know, in fact, he's pretty soft in terms of like mafia bosses and things like that, too. And he really wasn't even like the big mafia boss in this movie in the grand scheme of things. Like he had favors and he was just he was more so commanding. He wasn't very scary and stuff. And I think it's so funny how people look back at the Godfather and they're like, I want to be as powerful as a man as is Don Corleone. But like at the end of the day, I think it we can easily say that, you know, it was Michael who was that kind of ruthless mafia, you know, mob that we would kind of associate with the crimes that occurred in real life with mafia crime families. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely Michael. It was I mean the church scene, right? The baptism scene is still viewed as one of the best um scenes in any movie. Because oh yeah, and um, it, it totally is not the way, not just only the way it's filmed and everything like that, but also because it's it's really a concrete cement and stone of who that character is and who that character will be. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. Fifty years later, it's still the best scene. Mm-hmm. No one has been able, and and really within the genre, no one has still been able to top this movie. Has been able even to top character development writing even the dialogue and even the family dynamic we you know even watching other films like goodfellas and and we keep referring to the sopranos there's not a lot of other films that match what's been done in this movie in any way yeah like it's i think also like if we look at like certain characters right Don Corleone, Sonny. They're all um, very relatable too. I think we all, all have a very relatable, like you know, you know, they're very well diverse and they all interact so beautifully, you know, even like, I also think it's just so crazy to think that Marlon Brando really, he saw the story and everything, liked it, but really mostly did it for the money. He was like, yeah, I could use it. And to the fact that he was so blase for the movie meaning like he was like yeah put everything on cue cards i got it 
and was able to give yeah. not only the performance of a lifetime, but one of the most envied performances of all time. Like no one's acting like no, even with, you know, all these years we've had Johnny Depp, we've had Leonardo DiCaprio, we've had all these amazing actors graced against our our scenes and everything like that on our movie screens and everything. And still no one will ever be Don Corleone's Marlon Brando's Don Corleone's. Oh yeah. From the moment where he's saying like, you know, uh, asking for a favor from the, even when he's just in the bed and he's mouthing, where's Michael to all the way in the end, when he looks at Sonny and says, look how they've massacred my boy. Like it's, it's, when people enter, you know, people, I, I don't think that they fully understood the history that they would, that they would be making when they were re- filming these scenes, you know? I also thought it was like the, the chemistry between the cast worked very well. Like they, Marlon Brando, like, ref, like it, it just seems like they're his children yeah. and all the other actors, like they, it does seem like they're like, siblings and i also thought it was very interesting i think only like two or three people in the main cast are actually italian american yep and from marlon brando is not james Kahn is not um robert duvall is not the only ones who are italian are a lot of like the older mob bosses and stuff and really al pacino which is so interesting because I mean, I, I like as Italian Americans, I, I assume you like, we both understand like, oh yeah, that's, there are similarities like family. That's how family interacts. Like the family dinners. I'm not saying like, you know, the shooting and the violence, but, um, when you look at that, it's very, it's very crazy how actors can pick up on such little things Mm -hmm. like the way Italian Americans eat and the way we talk at one point, like I get, they were having some kind of loose conversation, about something about tv or whatever and i'm like i swear i've heard like conversations like this my whole life it's so crazy how people from like different parts of the country different nationalities they did amazing i felt like everybody was italian i felt like everybody was family and that's even the guy who plays tessio in the movie is not um italian or anything and also i don't know if you know but do you know who else in a different movie who else is not italian in a different movie who ray Liotta is not italian oh i knew that i knew that and it's 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 so good though i mean i who else is not italian in that movie there was somebody else uh i said con sunny um don corleone Tom Hagen, um, all the other old timers and stuff like that, or uh, like, oh, I think it's Fredo. I think Fredo is an Italian. Really? I think I, he's I Spanish. Know he, oh, that's that makes sense. See, that's crazy. Like, don't I, you relate to it? And like, I you, you relate to it, right? Of course, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I feel like we all can look at that and be like, oh my god, I have cousins like this. Of course, yeah. You know, it was very reminiscent of the older generations of my family and whenever they gather around and everything. And it's not necessarily just the accent. It's it's the mannerisms exactly. of how it is, too. And, you know, there is – I think it's easy to say that, like, for us, because we're both Puerto Rican and Italian, they do have some similarities. But there are some just distinct lines that don't cross between Puerto Ricans and Italians. And in terms – because, like, family, huge core – 
of both, you know, ethnicities and whatnot, right? But there's just something about Italian culture that is a lot more emotionally invested. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit hard to describe, right? But like, I just compare, like, it's not, you know, both, like, for example, both sides of my family are loud, but there is a much, much tighter, like, not connection. I don't want to say connection. There is this kind of like like a code. There's like almost like an unsaid code within like Italian families and everything like that. Right. Where it's just like, Oh, you, you just know it from like the minute you're born and everything you just kind of know, especially growing up and stuff. Whereas with Puerto Ricans, it's like, it's more looser, you know? I, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think especially like when I meet another Italian person, it's different. Yeah. Especially if they're from like the same area that we that me and you grew up in, like the north, it's just so different. At that point, you're like, okay, this person's like community now. Yeah, this person's one of us. There is that sort of yeah, it's like that one of us feeling. Like, and I think that even more like the fact that you had like you know a lot of the main leads, not even Italian, just kind of study and understand and as well as just have a good script that had that unspoken code yeah. kind of embedded within it and everything came out so great and so amazing and stuff would you say in terms of your favorite movie or your favorite scene from this movie would it be the church scene oh let me think about it a second mm. so i think about that three you gotta hours. go through a lot of different <laughs> scenes and everything Oh my goodness. Okay. My brain is like trying to rack. You go first so I can think about it because I feel like there's a specific scene that I'm thinking about that I have to recall. You know, I think it's one of those things where like, I'm even like right now looking through stills of the movie to see if any of them like jump at me or anything. Um, Cause obviously like everything is just so well made and everything, right? Like everything is, you know, just beautiful and the way it looks and whatnot. Um, I really like, of course, like the beginning, like the wedding sequence, because it really just sets the tone for everything and is by far like one of like the best highlights of the entire culture and whatnot. Um, You know, I I got it. I got what's yours. The very, very end of the film when the Michael is three or four people are kissing the ring and Kay is looking and they close the door. And I think that's my favorite because it sort of puts it in stone about where Kay lies and where Michael lies. And it is that this is us and then this is you and you will never be a part of us feeling. And I thought that was so brilliant Mm -hmm. to put it that way. Michael's getting kissed with the other Italians, they're kissing his ring and Kay's looking on and they shut the door on her. And I think it is like one of those, it's just, it signifies the whole, like, this is us. And then this is you, you're still not going to be one of us. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, Kay is the outsider. For Kinda sure. Like for Robert sure. We've all in that situation. I so, think, you know what it is. I think I really like the hospital sequence when they're oh, worried yeah, about a hit being done on the father. I really love the suspense in that part. And I love how, you know, we're really starting to, get a feel of how dangerous, you know, it is for this family and, you know, what's going on and everything, right? Yeah. 
Oh, my Dunkachino was so cute back then, wasn't he? <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Dunkachino. Of course, of course. Look, it, I'm still going to say this, all right? I'm still going to say it. You guys can think I'm ill. You guys can think I'm stupid. You guys can think I'm crazy. You think you guys can think I'm on drugs. I'm a pharmacy student. I don't care. I'm not legally. I can't be, or else I wouldn't be in where I am. But I, even though I love Brando in this, his best performance is Last Tango in Paris, and that's all I'm going to say. That has to be a whole. We have to like. There's got to be an explanation. We have to. We've been talking about Last Tango in Paris in increments on this podcast since like day one and we finally need to do an episode i th- i think it's actually on the list for this time this year it is on the list for this year and you everything guys are in for like a crazy episode you know what it is i think it's because uh and i'll just kind of briefly say it to this without you know spoiling lasting in paris and everything i think marlon brando does a fantastic job playing the character of don corleone but I don't think there's any character better than Marlon Brando himself. And that's oh, yeah. what we see in Last Tango in Paris. And that's why I'm a ride or die little idiot fool monster for that <laughs> movie. Because being able to see such a remarkable actor, one of the best actors of our time, being so vulnerable, naked, exploited. And obviously I don't agree with the director and what he did and everything like that. But the fact that we kind of got like this forbidden glimpse of him and Maria Schneider and everything like that. It's one of those one of the kind things where it should not happen again, but so interesting. So beyond interesting. I haven't seen the movie in four years, right? And I only saw this movie once. I remember like 75% of the movie. That's how much it had an impact on me. Because I've never really seen a movie like Last Tango in Paris. It's it's a complex one and it gets shot down a lot because a lot it, it's like one of those things too where like it's kind of like going back to that original, you know, conversation and everything like that, right? Where there was a lot of wrong happening on the set and stuff. Does that mean we discredit all of, you know, what the work and everything that was put into that movie and everything, right? No, and I think the movie has a lot to offer in terms of like value in cinema like acting the plot oh and it's like the fact that like we like we had a movie right that told that this director un maybe knowingly but unknowingly made a movie right where all of a sudden his leads are watching the movie and they're freaking out watching it because they're going we're not playing characters this is us yeah, you know, from is- telling Brando like, oh yeah, can you just kind of you know, f- you know, ad lib this and do this and stuff, and then all of a sudden now you have just them naked and vulnerable in the situation, even literally for Maria and everything like that, right? And going through this and going through everything and stuff, and just kind of navigating stuff. And there's also like I've always defended certain things of the movie, like obviously Marlon Brando was wrong in many ways but not a lot of people know that him and maria schneider were good friends for a while after the movie was made and after the premiere of it and everything too because both of them were bisexual kings and queens are you kidding me (laughs) that was their alliance when you and i'm not gonna i can't say the movie is easy to watch because it just takes you down a down spiral 
but I think it has a lot of value. And I think there is not a movie like it. And I don't think there's characters like it with imagine 50 years later, it's very rare to say that there is not something like it. And there's very rare to say that like, Oh, actors, you know, kind of recreated it like this. It is completely still original and untouched and unmatched and I think that's where its value lies yeah and also because of its hazardous nature in terms of what it took to make the movie I don't think we'll ever get that again because we shouldn't get that again I think this is one of those things where it's like all right we went this far one time I mean like to have the director say stuff like I couldn't have Marlon Brando naked because it felt like I was naked whoa the psychosis this dude was going through this movie and everything you know and just kind of like how a person gets to that point all of them got to these certain points you know and I think it's honestly like even though it's such a rough movie even though it has such a dark history I think it's so important for wannabe directors to look at it and learn from the mistakes that were made on the movie no I I totally agree and I mean just going back to the godfather it's really the same thing like Yes, the genre has lasted decades and and people have made Godfather-esque films, but there is still no movie, no plot, and no family like in The Godfather. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, even if it's like some high and mighty person, a film does not tolerate, you know, the the Marlon Brandos of cinema anymore. That's true. In terms of that, like, for example, today I was just reading that the director of the new Fast X movie, the next Fast and Furious movie, left because he said Vin Diesel was late to set every day, acted as if he was the only one that mattered. And then on top of that, he said he's plus he's out of shape, too, for the role. (laughs) I was like, dang, that was sorry. My boyfriend is trying to call me. Um, But yeah, like I told him I was recording. No, we love Zach. It's okay. We forgive him. Yeah, he's probably like, I'm so tired. I gotta go to bed. (laughs) Yeah, like, I just think, um, like, things like, there can't be any more pretentious Brandos like that anymore. It it worked. It worked once. But we can't go through that cycle again where just because a person is good, that means that, you know, their crappy behavior is excusable. No, we are definitely evolving for the better in that way. That we are not tolerating. If Brando was alive, he would call us pansies. He'd be like, you're all weak. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I hear it. That man, like, do you remember we were watching a YouTube video about, like, celebrity eating habits? (laughs) And do you remember they were talking about how Brando would just, like, go off in a canoe in the middle of the ocean and just eat ice cream? Yes. During they were filming, um, it was the Napoleon movie because they were getting so angry because this was another movie where he ripped like 40 linen pants because linen pants are tight. And he was ripping them because he was gaining weight so rapidly over the course of it because he had a severe binge eating disorder, right? He just ate and ate and ate and ate. And so the thing is, it got to the point where they started like taking food away from the set and stuff. So this man would go and buy like three sandwiches, go in a canoe in the middle of the lake and just eat them. And people would be like, but we're, we're trying to film. And he'd be like, I'm eating. <laughs> I do have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think, because when you think of like big movie stars, you, you do think of Marlon Brando, even Al Pacino at a, at a different level. 
Do you mm-hmm. think there is still a movie star that Hollywood is willing to put up with in that? It, it, like, let's just say, for example, this guy was late. This guy was ripping pants. Do you think at this age in this this day and age of you know of our time that there is a movie star that Hollywood still puts up with or do you think the idea of a movie star being completely in control is gone like there's just not going to be any movie stars like that ever you know it's very difficult to say because I think this is also coming at a time where people are just not caring for movies as much as it was you know Hmm. 40 years ago. I feel like we go through a lot of phases, right? Where we go through, like, you know, we had some bangers in the 90s, you know? And then now we're kind of having, like, this die of indie cinema, right? Where, like, even, like, and I told you, I hated this damn article, but this dude was, like, um, the Northman is indie cinema. Like, on what planet, dude? (laughs) On what planet is that indie cinema, you know? And... I think we're kind of straying away from what these roles were and how important these are. And at the end of the day, I think maybe companies and producers don't want to elevate and make people the it people anymore, because if they do one small mistake, it's over. It is over. Well, it's interesting because I think you have a point there. I think the idea of a movie star is dying. Like when you think of like genuine, really, like when you think of really big movie stars, you think of Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. These people are already in their fifties. So, in actuality, when you when you really think about it, who are the big movie stars in our generation? Yeah, I would the the closest thing I would say would be like Mar- uh, would be Leonardo DiCaprio because he was also like someone where you know because he was working with the old Hollywood legends, he was working with Scorsese and everything like that, right? So we we were able to have that wave again, and even like with um everything going on and stuff, even with someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Where people who are older than us consider like Leon like DiCaprio like God. But even like the younger generation is like, oh yeah, you mean the dude who only dates teenagers? Yeah, really. It's it's really interesting how the idea of a movie star is like dying. Like the idea of the immortal movie star, the one that can do no wrong, the one that can do whatever he wants because he's the big star. Like that is dying in our generation. And although I think it's a good thing that like we are not tolerating a lot of the things that we used to. It's also very sad to hear, like, the closest thing I think we have to movie stars are, like, Timothy Chalamet and Robert Pattinson, but they're actually not, like, super megastars yet either. Yeah. So it's very interesting how, like, we've had this shift in our culture where I totally agree with you. you. You had it, like, right on the nose. We are in a time where, like, people, the general public does not care too much for movies anymore. Yeah. Like, it's not about, oh, I'm going to go see this movie because so-and-so is in it anymore. It's not like that anymore. And like I said, although I think it's a good thing that we're at a point where we're not tolerating dangerous actions and bad behavior, we but, you know, it's also sad that, like, we don't have any more movie stars, I guess. Yeah, and it, it sucks because I think, like, you know, I would have loved to have been a part of the generation that did, but I also understand, too, because – when you do have these 
legendary movie stars that we can say like, oh, you know, no one will never be this. No one will ever be Marlon Brando and stuff. And or even if when we say to people, you're going to be the next Marlon Brando, you're going to be the next so-and-so, it gives power. It gives a lot of power to people. And it's very easy for that power to be misused, whether it's under the demise of power itself, alcohol, drugs, money, fame, whatever it may be. And I think maybe, you know, the reason why we're kind of losing these big stars and everything like that is because the people who have to work on these movies and everything like that are kind of tired dealing with the big stars in that way. That's where, true. you know, you have a hundred people working on a film crew set and everything like that, right? Like I'll never forget when I was working on um Reboot, Jane Silent Bob Reboot, I was um Ben Affleck's assistant for a day, right? And I had chokingly said to someone, because uh, she was moving her stuff out of her trailer, right? And I was like, oh yeah, are we clearing the trailer for big boy Ben? And she looked at me terrified and she was like, you can't say that. And I'm mm. like, big boy Ben or Ben Affleck in general. She said <laughs> both. Oh my God. And so it was one of those things where it was like, I, I, I just kind of viewed him as a person who was very successful and it was still, even in 2019, you know, it, it, it kind of felt like a major hierarchy difference. And yeah. it's really weird going about that, you know, like everyone thought I was absolutely insane because I went up to him and I was like, hi, I'm Stephanie. Nice to meet you. If you need any help, please let me know. And everyone was like, what are you doing? Like, that's insane and stuff. And it's like, and also keep in mind too, I was probably one of the youngest people on the set. So everyone who was working and stuff was probably in their 30s, different, you know, I don't want to say different generation, no, no offense to anyone over the age of 30. Um, but like, you know, it's just they had been immersed in type of like this, you know, some people in Hollywood are just untouchable. So you might as well just stay out of their way. So that way you don't lose your job type of thing, you know, and I think we're just kind of tired of seeing that stuff, you know, especially like even, um, even people and like you would never even think of like e like I remember one girl I'm not gonna oust her or anything like that right I'm not gonna say her name but um they essentially worked on the movie The Green Book and they said that the director was an absolute nightmare mm. like to the point where it was an honest mistake nothing that was crazy it did not it did not pose any detriment to the set that day and there were other people who attested and said like it was one of the most like horrifying things ever because in front of everyone this director just went belligerent on mm. her calling her slurs calling her all these different names and everything like that and then literally a year later he won the green book he yeah. won the oscar for it you know so i think we're just kind of, you know, getting tired of these legendaries and stuff. Because when you say like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a legend, you're a star and stuff, it does go to their head, you know? Whether or not they have know how to properly deal with it and execute it and everything, that's that's up to them. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, by the way, um, I found out more information on Marlon Brando and his eating habits. And I <laughs> genuinely wish, if there was one thing I could ever say to Marlon Brando, I would totally be like, homie. I really appreciate how you eat. Like I, I, I commend you for that stuff. Like that's 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 cool. You do you, boy. Because he, it, like, just reading through, like, it just it clearly shows that he probably had some type of disorder. Oh, sure, yeah. And that's what caused it. But like, even like when he was making um, 
one-eyed jacks his um there was a sign below the birthday cake saying don't feed the director oh my god he was the director (laughs) um he ate four pieces that day four pieces of the cake and then also um that lagoon situation um it says uh mutiny on the bounty customer james taylor claimed that branto split uh the seat of 52 pairs of pants during the shooting of the film um and kept asking to stretch the fabric to be sewn in re- in replacement in the replacement duds of it, and he would split those too. Ice cream was the culprit. Brando would purloin a five gallon tub of ice cream and row himself out into a lagoon to eat it. Oh my god! <laughs> like that's gotta be the most interesting man that has ever lived. Yeah, one of the most interesting people. Yeah, like it uh so essentially even like one of his girlfriend in the 80s ended up leaving him because he wouldn't lose weight. He seemed to be dieting, but to her astonishment, he never lost weight. She found out that his buddies had been throwing bags of Burger King Whoppers over the gate of his estate late at night to relieve his uh hunger. Jesus, that's insane. Yeah, so Crazy, crazy stuff, you know, like, and he ended up becoming like close to 400 pounds in his later years. That's so crazy to think about. Yeah. And even in the, in his, uh, the mid 1950s, he was renowned for eating boxes of Malomars and cinnamon buns and would typically drink them with a quart of milk. That's disgusting. The whole quart of milk. God, I can't drink milk like that. I can't. Straight up. I can't. But anyways, um, yeah. So I think with the Godfather and everything, I don't think we're going to see another Godfather film for a while. No, I think no. it's going to take a while. And I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be done underneath the studio. It's going to be done. It's going to, it's going to be indie. The only way something like this is going to pick up that much attention, that much praise and all stuff like that, if it's done under the radar. And if it ends up being one of those sl- things that slips through a studio's hands and ends up being done, outdone by any studio, you know? Yeah, I actually agree 100%. So I I think if there's going to be something, anything remotely similar to that, it's going to be done. And I really hope like, you know, I really feel like I don't want to say indie cinema is dead and stuff, but it's definitely it's not what it used to be. You know, like I really think indie cinema kind of died in the 90s um, where you could still make a movie, write, direct, and then you could shuffle that movie all throughout and you could be very lucky and you could get a, you know, a deal where it's sent out to theaters and everything like that. And you don't hear that. You'll hear some buzz, but it's never, it's never distributed. It's one of those things where it's like a year later, you're like, oh yeah, I heard this was good at Sundance. And it's, it's never, they never become big talk. And I think that that's very sad. sad. It is really sad when you think about that, because I think, how I, I think filmmaking and trying to get your foot into the door, directing, indie, what, whatever you want to call it, this is the hardest time ever to make a film. We have people that we have well-known directors. We have the Coppola is trying to make a movie and he has to self-finance it. How does yeah. anybody have a chance? How does anybody have a chance? If you really think about it like that. Yeah, and then even for the people who do want to direct and stuff like that, the way that they have to go about it is 
if they have a pretty face, they have to try acting. And even if they don't have a pretty face or if they don't, you know, they wouldn't be something that would consider to be like, you know, normal standard right. uh, beauty and everything like that, right? Nepotism. That's the only thing that's bringing people anywhere. And it's so crazy how even like indie artists, whether it's it's movies, TV, singers and everything like that, how easily it was for them to cross paths with someone famous. You know, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden they were working at a Walgreens and no, Mark not Ruffalo like walked in and, no. you know, changed their life forever. That's that's not that's not how it goes anymore. Now it's, oh no, I became an actor because my dad's best friend is Mark Ruffalo or my dad is just straight up Mark Ruffalo. That's usually just how it goes about and no, everything. Hollywood is pretty much all nepotism kids at this point. From right now, 100%. And you don't hear, like, at least, like, you would hear, like, with Leonardo DiCaprio and everything like that, right? That he, you know, his mom were putting in gigs after gigs after gigs right. when he Child was a doctor. kid and everything like that. Haley Joel Osment, you know, gigs after gigs after gigs and stuff like that where these people were ingrained since a kid and they were kind of, you know, grown that way. I don't consider that nepotism. Even – even if, you know, they come from a family that has connections, but if they start that young and they are trained and trained and trained and trained, then at the end of the day, it's talent that they stuck in the industry. But Absolutely. if they're adults and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I've never acted in anything before, but here I go. Now I'm the star of a euphoria show, you know, and now I'm the star of euphoria and everything like that. It's, it's definitely weird. It's different, you know? Uh, yeah, I think it's sad that, I don't want to say Hollywood has become unfair because at the end of the day, a lot of these nepotism kids are very talented. And I don't think I'm, when I'm saying this, I don't think I'm undermining that talent, but I just feel like we're missing so many talented young women and men who work hard because it's just easier to cast the nepotism kid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's very easy to cast a director's kid in a film or a TV show because, oh, the director, you know, you know, this, that connections. Then it is to to kind of take a bet on somebody new. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's unfair and it's sad because I think Hollywood used to be, when, when you think of golden age and when, even when you think of like the 70s into the 90s, as long as you kind of hustled, you can get somewhere in the door. It's yeah, like, like everyone wanted to hear. And, and like, look, at the end of the day, I think, you know, I, I think I can be someone who can say this and say it from experience with all the people that I've met in such a short amount of time. Right. With all the connections that I've sustained and everything. With all the accolades being told that I was good, being told this, being told all these things and everything like that, you know, people genuinely being serious with me and everything like that. And knowing that I can do it too, knowing mm -hmm. on top of that too, that I can do this oh, stuff yeah. too, right? It's just shown me that at the end of the day, it's not just people vouch for their own, it's people vouch for their blood. Yeah, yeah. Or they vouch for favors for their blood. That would be the other exception and everything, you know? So even with, you know, like I said, all these connections that I've sustained and everything, all these great actors and actresses who I've met and everything, these great talented people and stuff, how quickly their one of two year of highs could easily, if they were not nepotism, guarantee them six to 10 years of just lows. Yeah, it's, it's. 
Very sad to think about. And it sucks. It sucks because there's genuinely so many talented people. There's so many movies and TV shows being made more than ever. And yet we're not hearing about them. And but a see, lot this of them is- are being made for cash grabs. And that's why also these people who are working hard and may get like the lead role in a Netflix movie and everything, right? Yeah. If it's a cash grab and it doesn't have a solid plot or anything like that, right? These people, their their agents are telling them, oh my God, this is a great idea, great idea. Even if they're the lead role of a Netflix movie, that still doesn't guarantee them a career. You know, and I think that's where TikTok, podcast, YouTube comes in. Because so many talented people have had their start on YouTube, TikTok, and and podcast yeah. and i think this is giving a platform it, it's kind of filling in that gap almost like it's it's giving people talented people well-deserving people a platform to go ahead i i brought up uh, i made a tiktok about one of my favorite um film critic his name is chris duckman mm-hmm. he did youtube for uh, 10 plus years just reviewing films and he's trying to make his own movie now yeah he has i think the highest uh, funds raised ever for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think he raised about a million plus dollars for his film. Yeah. Because he had to, I believe, self-fund a lot of it. And I, 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 without that following, I don't think he would have been able to do it. And it's sad because he's very talented and I'm happy he was able to do that. But it just shows that like these other platforms, these other media platforms are going to fill in that gap and are going to allow people to kind of get in squeeze their way in at this point yeah it's all very you know difficult and nothing is ever guaranteed in life and definitely nothing is ever guaranteed in hollywood even you know the people i know who are definitely higher up in the chain have definitely whether it's been for disney or any other major corporations and stuff have been very quickly and suddenly humbled And it's very rough even seeing how these people like, you know, like when you provide the example of Francis Ford Coppola now and everything, how it's the fact that this guy has to finance a legend, a absolute legend has to finance. And one of the last, one of the last legends has to actually finance his own movie. Look, at the end of the day, he can afford it, okay? We're not going to feel that sorry for him. <laughs> no, but, but it's, it's the astonishing. Fact that with his name, with everything that he's made, with his talent, his undeniable talent, right? That yeah. he still has to go into a venture like this on his own accord. It's, it's very interesting the way things are going in the film industry. Very interesting. But yeah. guess what? I'm not worried about it because my best friend's going to be a director. I'm telling you right now, my mafia crime drama is going to sweep the nations. You're all going to be home and it's going to bring you back. And you're going to be waiting on a Saturday night at 10 p.m. Waiting for the 1030 slot to come up with your popcorn, with your Pepsi nitros, your Pepsi clears, all your Pepsi Pepsi (laughs) accoutrements. Yeah, the 90s, it's going to have another comeback again, like its third comeback. And you're going to be there. You're going to be at the edge of the seat. And you're like, oh, my God, is this person alive? We don't know. We don't know. Stephanie's a bastard. And she cut the episode off before we could figure out if this character was alive or dead because she sucks. And you're going to say my name because I'm self-conceited in that way. I'm telling you right now, anything I ever make, it's not going to be made unless my name is in big fat letters all over it. 
I'm going to be making 30 reviews on every website possible when anything comes out of yours. <laughs> 30 different reviews, and they're all going to be from me. I'm like so excited. 10 out of 10, everything. I am so excited for it. It's genuinely like literally after this episode, I'm going to remind you what that plot is. And no, then I you're know, going to be like, I know oh. exactly what you're talking about, too. I remember exactly what you're talking about. Because it's a banger. Yeah. Because I remember it's all anger. your ideas. They're stored up here. Bro, I, I applied to be Poet Laureate. I think I know what I'm doing here. I don't know <laughs> if I got it yet, but I applied to be Poet Laureate, if that matters. If anyone wants to add that, like I was a Poet Laureate nominee. I don't know if I won. We love that. We need it. Exactly. We have to add it. Exactly. But I think overall, even though, like, look, Everyone knows The Godfather. Everyone knows The Godfather to a certain degree. Everything that has been said about The Godfather has been said and done. Well, maybe, you know, many not, maybe not people have like crapped on Michael Corleone as much as we did. Maybe. It was out of love because we it appreciate him. It was out of love, him. you know, it was out of. Always for my sweet Don Cacino. Never going to go against him. I have one more um, controversial opinion to say before we exit. Okay. The Godfather is not Francis Ford Coppola's best movie. Okay, what do you think it is? The conversation. Are you kidding me? Oh, I that, saw the conversation. It made me really paranoid. Yes. That movie put me on edge for like three days. And that's why one of those things too, where even like, obviously they're both amazing movies, but the fact that like Francis Cord Coppola so many times has made these extremely well-done, thought-provoking movies and everything, right? You know, even like the conversation I think is incredible because he wrote it himself too. Yeah. Like that to me shows like, oh no, like you know exactly what you're doing. You know, you're not just, you know, because I, I think he's only just accredited as the director of The Godfather and Mario Puzo is accredited as the screenplay writer mm. for The Godfather and everything. But like conversation to have written and directed that, oof, so good. Yeah, needs to be talked about more. You know, he's like 84. I know. Listen, Francis Ford Coppola, if you're listening, I've done assisting work and everything like that. I will be 100% to wheel you around, my guy. I don't know if you're in a wheelchair. Don't say that. <laughs> but, you know, just to be assistance. Like, Personal oh, you, assistant. Yeah, you need help connecting to the Wi-Fi. I got you. I will do it with a smile on my face. You have to help your fellow Italian out. Yes. We stick together. Yes. I'm I'm just I'm just a little small time Italian girl. Just looking like my dad <laughs> my dad says I'm like Gaga because I'm always just like helping out like the old I'm just a small little Italian girl helping out the elderly <laughs> when I can. We love that. You know? It 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 is what it is. But obviously I think with grading in the Godfather do we own it? We do. Uh, I know we, we both probably have like some form of the collector's edition or anything like that, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. And like then um, in terms of rating for The Godfather, right? How would you well, – it's got to be a 10 for you, right? It has to – there's – it's just – the movie hits every mark. And yeah. on top of that, you can rewatch it a bunch of times. For, t for a three-hour film – you could rewatch it and enjoy it every single time. And that's yeah. rare in a film. And the characters are good. Everything's good. 10 out of 10. I enjoy watching it every single time. 
And after listening to this, if you decide to watch it again, I implore you to really study the scene where Marlon Brando's laying in bed and it transitions over to him, to Michael Corleone being in Sicily. And when that transition happens, it's done so well because Marlon Brando's mustache lines up perfectly with the tree in the right quadrant. So it looks like his mustache blends into the tree. They should just if the, if somebody has like a is trying to build a Marlon muse a Marlon Brando museum or like a part like just hire Stephanie because she just knows the most irrelevant. Well, I'm facts. so I'm <laughs> so like I'm still I don't like to think about it much because I don't like to think about like who's involved with this and like how little care or how much care that they have invested in this. I know that last Tango in, in Paris TV show. I no hate hope it doesn't work out because you need me you need me you need me you know like it's not gonna work well if you don't do it without me you know no i i i I 100 actually percent agree with that i've never agreed with anything more in my life because i know you I've, i've listened to you talk about this movie absolutely nonstop. there there cannot be anybody that knows more than you i'm seriously I'm seriously like we have to contact who do I have to beg because I swear to God I've always considered getting a tattoo from last Tango in Paris on and it's my favorite quote from the movie and it's when Marlon Brando was drunk at um the 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 waltz where they're doing the waltz scene and everything like that right and it's when he's drunk and looks at Marie and Schneider and says beauty of mine sit before me let me peruse you and remember you always like this and I want to get that tattooed but that's we need also to contact the two directors. The best dialogue ever written, dude. I tried. I tried getting in contact with one of the producers, but he's too busy tweeting about his freaking NFTs and stuff like that. Like there are bigger priorities at stake here. The co-directors we need to get involved with. It's it's the guy. It says the directors from Narcos and Killing Eve. Which it could be up. good. It could be good. It no, could be good. It's not going to be good without you. No, they it could be good directing. No, 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 but they, they don't know do as much it. as you do. And no. that can't happen. Of course not. Like, do they they don't even understand, you know? No one understands it like me, I think. Like the fact that like at like 19, I was making videos, 20 minute videos. And I swear to God, if they look at them videos and try to use that as reference, go straight to the source. It's me. There's nobody else making videos about that movie. Also, so we we need to do because no one wants to talk about it. We need to do something immediately. It it just it needs to be done. So if you know someone who's working on it, look. I'm I know I sound crazy, but I'm doing this for the sake of cinema. So get in contact with me or shoot me an email, whatever it may be. Just 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 hit my line, okay? Hit the line. Hit the line. Like, 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 how, how stupid can you be to make something last time in Paris without me? Like, that's also just insane. I agree. Insane in the membrane. I agree. So yeah, so um, I love how anytime Marlon Brando is mentioned, I just slowly pull the conversation into Last Tango in Paris to just get out my my internalized aggression that I have, that my emotions that I have for the movie and how I feel about the movie and everything. And I say aggressive, but I love the movie. It's it's a serious topic for you. I, I 
I support you in this. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> if anyone's going to support me, it better be you. <laughs> Always. So, yeah, Godfather, 10 out of 10. And this was just our very big smorgasbord of an episode of The Godfather, talking about it, critiquing it, and also talking about, you know, the trickle-down effect of The Godfather. And, you know, as always, uh, shout out to Homeboy James. Homeboy James. Sensei David. Sensei. And Danny Boy. Thank you guys so much, especially during all this time and everything for still supporting our Patreon. If you would like a little shout out at the end of every single episode, please be sure to check out our Patreon for that little $1 a month tier. Come on. That's like less than taxes. Come on. So doing that once, you know, doing that, check that out. There's also tons of other ways to support us. Checking out Savannah's TikTok, which has been insane because you have a lot of crazies. I think there's just something about the topic of Lolita that just brings out it just the brings worst out. in people. Yeah, I've had to like report a few comments. I mean, there are comments that are like very nice and supportive, and then there are just comments that are. I- I'm concerned for this generation. I guess I don't know. No, seriously, like it's so like I remember like I was just looking through right, and you were saying like this relationship is very gross in this movie and everything like that, and it's all valid, and I say it's even more valid at the fact that it's backed up by laws and whatnot, <laughs> right? And there was one person that was like, "I love this movie," and I think you blocked them, and they deserved it because you, like, don't be a creep online. I know it's easy, but don't do it. You can disagree with me, but like they're, uh, yeah, you you can't do that. Can't like, do that. Can't, no. can't tolerate that. I can't. Like it, it, it's it's one thing to be weird online, but to be horny on main, you gotta <laughs> you gotta find something else. Go on Reddit. Go on 4chan for that stuff. Not some little film lovers TikTok, right? Who you're just going to unleash your aggressions out. Yeah, I agree. Whack. Whack, whack, whack. I can't believe that. I literally saw that and I was like, what? It's a oh, scary Let's not place. forget because you were t- we were talking about Marilyn Monroe. I literally got like cyber stalked for three days. Jesus, I just said the movie shouldn't be NC-17. People are like, oh, but nobody wants to see a PG. Yeah, yeah next thing you know, I made a comment and AKA I owned a person because they were like uh you're stupid and i literally just said the facts they got embarrassed double down and like six hours later their pictures and stuff like that on their profile was my face and i'm yeah, like we don't this is great that. don't and guess what i couldn't sleep that night because i was stressed don't so i did dig in i know what you look like i know your name i know you'll where you live and everything like that so moral of the story don't come for us on tiktok and don't mess with me because i know i know the internet and i know how to navigate through it and a lot more people know how to navigate through that stuff too so like don't engage when you don't know what you're even going up against, okay? You're coming up against someone who was cybersocked for over a year. I know the games. <laughs> I know. It's like, you want to play Candyland? I've already won. I've already won, and I'm moving on to Monopoly. You can't do that with me. Yeah. Don't come for us on TikTok. That's the moral of the story. Do not. Do not. It will not be tolerated. I will send my boyfriend, Zach. He gets into arguments with the people who sing, like, the, the singer of Trapped, you know? <laughs> so... 
I will sick him out on you. We have reinforcements. That's all we're saying. Yep. Yep. And that is that. So thank you so much for listening. And the next time we do a review, which should be next week, fingers crossed, (laughs) you know, fingers crossed, nothing dramatic happens or anything. Um, But yeah, next time when we record and everything, we're actually going to be talking about Tokyo. Oh my God, I almost burped. I apologize. Tokyo Drifter. So that's going to be fun. Thank you guys so much for always having our back and listening to us and whatnot. We really hope you enjoy uh, this discussion. It's not even a review at this point. The discussion about the Godfather and whatnot. And we will see you next time when we talk about Tokyo Drifter. Bye-bye. Bye.